you know, <laughs> shoots in on me, takes me down, shoulder to chest. I'm like, oof, this thing is strong. It was awesome. Today on the podcast, Elliot and I are going to talk about something referred to as the sifter. More on that in a couple of moments. Welcome to 32 Thoughts, the podcast uh, alongside sifter. Elliot Friedman. Yes, the sifter. Elliot Friedman and Emil Dulwich. Uh, yours truly, Jeff Merrick. The sifter. You know what the sifter is? I know it's something you sift salt. <laughs> I remember having a conversation. Oh, man, it was so much fun. So I first heard the term sifter. In 2016, it was the Memorial Cup in Red Deer. It was uh, the morning after one of the numerous tournament games. And me and Todd Warner and Colby Armstrong were just walking through a mall. I think we were going to get a cup of coffee or something like that. And we saw Warren Reichel, uh, who was then the general manager of the Windsor Spitfires. The Spits were going to host the Memorial Cup the next season. And as is you know tradition, you know teams will show up one year early and sort of get the vibe. And so Warren sort of waves us over and we go and we sit down and we're you know talking about junior hockey and we're talking about the Windsor Spitfires and the plans for next season. And then we our attention turns to... Mikhail Sergachev, who was a rookie at that point, or was a rookie at that point in the OHL with the Windsor Spitfires. And Bundy was just you know, regaling us with great stories. Bundy, by the way, is his nickname. Correct. Yeah, sorry. Warren Reichel's nickname. So he's regaling us with great stories about Sergachev and playing ping pong with Rocky Thompson and all that. And then we started to talk about his skill set. And he goes, he's got all the shots. He's got a slap shot. He's got a snapshot. He's got a wrister. He's got a sifter. He's got a blah, blah. And then we all look at each other. And we're like, What's a sifter? Like, we all look at each other like, have you ever heard that, Kolbs? No, Todd, have you ever heard of a... We're like, Bundy, what's a sifter? He goes, ah, it's kind of like a in-between a snapshot and a wrist shot. You just sort of float it in from the point. It's a, you know, guys, like, it's a sifter. Like, it's the most obvious thing in the world. Wouldn't it then be a snifter? We see, someone more clever like you probably would call it a snifter, but, uh, but yes. Bundy called it a, a sifter. And it was funny, when Sergachev scored the first of two goals, uh, one of them being the game winner, I texted Warren Reichel right away, like, hey, check out that sifter, ha, 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 and had a good laugh about it. And then Colby texted and Todd texted and became a whole thing in my text exchanges uh, on this Thursday evening. Anyway, this is a very long-winded way of me saying Mikhail Sergachev got it done with something I heard about back in 2016, and that is his sifter from the point, Elliot. Sergachev, shoot, score! Sergachev! Another goal for Sergachev, it's 2-1 Lightning! With a buck 50 left in the third! And what did he do? He just snapped it at the net again. Just well, first of all, from now on, I'm calling it a snifter. So <laughs> his snifter from the point won Correct. the game. Yes. Although it went in off Palat, they changed it after we went off air. They changed the goal to Palat. Yeah. First of all, I thought the Rangers were good enough to win this game. They had opportunities. They played very well. This game was, to me, for the taking of either team. Both teams, I thought, could have won this. Now, I just want to read you a text I got sent. From Warren Reichel about the sifter? No, it was not. Oh, okay. It was from a current NHL player right <laughs> okay. when the buzzer sounded to end the game. Okay. Who makes more plays when teams are playing not to make a mistake? That's who won the game tonight, and Tampa has done it throughout the playoffs. And I think that's exactly the story. The Rangers are really good. And they were good enough to win, but 
when that game gets down to crunch time and it's dicey, mm. aren't we all just sitting there saying Tampa's going to pull this out? Yeah, because they're brave enough to not be scared to make a mistake. It's, it's interesting, too, because as I'm you know writing notes down for the game, the one thing that's staring at me right now, choppy game, Tampa hangs in there. Like That's kind of how this thing felt, right? It wasn't, you know, this wasn't the easiest game on the eyes by any stretch of the imagination, Elliot, mm-hmm. but Tampa is able to make something out of it at the end. And it's another dagger, like game three, Palat with a few seconds remaining, bam. And, you know, Palat, again, it goes off him after the uh, the Sergachev shot with 150 remaining. Like, these are just devastating psychological goals. It just completely crushes you. And then Hagel scores the empty netter uh, for a little bit of extra spice in the chili. Like, the way that they do it, though, is just so psychologically damaging. Game three with Palat, game five here the goal going off Palat, that messes with your brain, Elliot, that close to the, the end of regulation. It can. There's no question about it. However, I look at it this way. I think when you're in these moments, Jeff, your only choice is to sit there and say, if you're Gerard Gallant, is to tell your players, we were right there and we were good enough to win this game. We didn't but we were right there and you can show the opportunities, you know, obviously Strom had a great chance at the end of regulation and it just didn't happen for him and he's playing hurts. So God knows how that affected it, but you can show all the good chances they had, all of the opportunities they had, they were right there with Tampa. And like we said, Tampa tends to win those games, Mm -hmm. but if I'm coaching the Rangers and I'm sitting there saying, here's how I'm going to get us to try to go win game six in Tampa. I'm selling them on guys. We were right there and we could have won this game and we have to believe. Now, still, there's a couple of things here. Number one, they've got to get Zibanejad and Panarin scoring and Kreider scoring at even strength. They just have to do it. They're not going to win game six if they don't do it. And Cooper is getting the matchup he wants, even on the road. I thought that Cop. Panarin and Strom, and boy, was that good news to the Rangers seeing Strom back in there. I thought they're real good. Like, we're all going to focus on, you know, that miss by Ryan Strom right in front of the net and a great feed by Cop and Panarin starts the entire play. But I thought that line played really good. Outside of putting that little round black thing over the red line, I thought that line had a really good game for each. I'm with you. I thought they were really good. I thought they were good enough to win. They got Tampa. It's a new verb. (laughs) We've learned new words this podcast. There's the sifter, there's the snifter, <laughs> and you got Tampa. That's pretty good. I was watching at the end of the game, like there was the, there were all those skirmishes and fights, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. As both teams are pushing and shoving here after the final buzzer, and this is boiling over, Louis. Is it ever? It was Kucherov initially with Fox. They started to go at it with the sticks, then everybody came in. Lafreniere and Stamco still going at it. And this one's going to go. They're going to drop the gloves. Absolutely. They're fighting right to the end of this one. Stamco's scoring the takedown. Stamco's and Lafreniere, what the heck? Yes. Well, as the lightning went down the hallway, they were so psyched that Stamco's fought. Mm. But he ate a glove from Lafreniere. Lafreniere got him with a good one, and clearly that pissed off Stamkos. But those Tampa players were so wired going down the hallway, and, and Stamkos is the captain. He's standing there and high-fiving everyone as they go back. And as all those guys saw, like Maroon, Belmar gave him a big hug. 
they were so wired to see that Stamkos fly. Did you see that first right from Stamkos that just barely missed Lafreniere's chin? Yeah. If that thing connects, it's good night. You're looking at the lights. That was a bomb and just missed Lafreniere. The first point that I said to myself, Tampa's going to do this is when the first period ended and the Rangers played so much better than Tampa. And it's not just because of the shots and it was like nine to three or eight to three or something like that, but they just controlled play, but Tampa escaped without injury. There was nothing. It was still zero, zero. And I said to myself, even though Ryan Lindgren scored in the second on an interesting shot from the boards that just, you know, short side wrister, uh, that went in and it's a five on five goal, which is bonus for the Rangers. I said to myself, you know, after that first period, Tampa's winning this thing because they escaped from that period. Are they okay? Tampa's probably going to win this sucker here. I just felt the longer that game got on that close, it was you got Tampa. That's what was going to happen. <laughs> I, I'm with you on this. Now, a couple things I want to talk about from this game. Number one, do you think the Keandre Miller penalty was a penalty? I know why they call it, because anytime a stick gets near the hands, referees are encouraged to make that call. But technically, that stick didn't hit the hand. So, no, I understand why they did it. Because if you give players an inch, they'll take a mile, and they don't want sticks anywhere close to hands. But I didn't like the call, because the stick actually didn't touch the hands. So I didn't like the penalty. I think the stick actually did eventually touch the hands. If it touched the hands, then yes. From the replays that I watched, I'm mean, watching the same broadcast, so I, I guess I must have missed it. <laughs> I saw it. If the stick does touch the hands, then it's a good penalty for me all day long. Yeah, I mean, I guess. That's what Kelly said. Kelly said, I don't like it, but they've been calling it that way for years. I don't know. I, I think that's a good defensive play. And I'm a pro scoring guy. I want as, as many goals as I can get. I just think that's a good defensive play. I, I didn't like that penalty call. I just didn't like it. I, I thought it was a good defensive play. You know, before we move on, you have a story you want to tell about. I got a Sergeant couple. Chad. Yeah, you always look for these moments and it's like, okay, go back in your notes quickly. Uh, Sergachev has done something here, so go find all your Sergachev notes from the draft because I love draft stories. And when we think of Mikhail Sergachev with Tampa, the first thing that people always think about is the is the trade. Uh, he was drafted by the Montreal Canadiens ninth overall uh, in the Austin Matthews draft of 2016 and traded for Jonathan Drouin in a very high-profile trade, as we all can recall. But before that... You know, he goes ninth overall and the Buffalo Sabres were selecting eighth and they ended up taking Alex Nylander. But going back in notes, the two players on the day of the first round, there were only two players, I believe, that Buffalo talked to that day. And it was Nylander and Sergachev. Like it was coming down to those two players for the Buffalo Sabres from what I believe and from my notes going back, Tim Murray was the general manager. The head European scout was uh, Anders Forsberg. He was with Tim Murray, who was a GM at the time. Uh, he was with Tim in Ottawa. Actually, Forsberg was there with Murray. And then when Jason Botterill took over, he was dismissed. But then Kevin Adams brought him back. So he's still there. He is still in Buffalo. Anyway, him and Tim Murray were together in Ottawa. And they would have selected uh, Eric Carlson, Robin Leonard, Mika Zibanejad. Forsberg would have coached William Nylander in moto. So they were well acquainted with Swedish prospects and players. 
And Tim Murray was big on, you know, even strength primary points. And Nylander was, was great on that. And troubling the Buffalo Sabres at that point is, so there was the feeling that, you know, perhaps the Sabres had felt burned because they spent two high first round picks on Zadorov and, and Grigorenko. Yeah. Um, and so may have wanted to stay away or had some type of apprehension. But anyway, the main thing was, is that Forsberg lobbied for him. And, you know, Tim and Anders had drafted Carlson, Leonard, and Zbigniewicz. And that's why they went that way for it. I know this is paining Buffalo Sabres fans as I hear this right now. Like, they need any more stories of who they could have had and why they could have had them. But I think when we when we look back right now, there were a couple of teams that could have had Sergeyev. And we always well, think... Well, is the one everybody knows, that he was going to Edmonton until Pugliarvi dropped. Yep. And the the other interesting one in that draft, we had talked about this one before, was the decision that the Boston Bruins made. They were either going to take Dante Fabro or Charlie McAvoy at 14. 2016 was a fascinating draft, you know, because the Rangers are trying to get a first round pick to get up high because they really wanted Clayton Keller. Uh, and yep. that didn't work. There was a surprise when Columbus said Pierre-Luc Dubois instead of Yessi Pouliarvi. Like there was a and that ru- And that ruined P.K. Subban going from Montreal to Vancouver. Correct. Maybe we should just do a side podcast. Now that we're telling everybody we're going to do this, we're going to get beaten in the story. But the, the inside story of the 2016 draft, it's a great draft. And there was another deal on the table. It's in, my, it's in one of my old blogs. There was a deal that was going on. I think it was between like Calgary, Edmonton, and somebody else to move around. But I just I can't remember what it is right now. I know it, I know it was out there. Boston took Tred- Frederick 29th overall because they had intel that Anaheim was going to take him at 30, so they they bumped up early and, and took him. And we've talked about this before. That was the first time that I really noticed that when pick 30 is made, everybody just stood up and left. <laughs> All the GMs on the floor, I'm like, give the guy his moment. Let the kid walk up on stage. Like, it's going to take you like an extra five minutes. Out of, like, do you have to go back to the bar that quickly? You know, in this league that prides itself on, you know, respect and doing the right thing, can you let Sam Steele go up to the draft podium and get his hat and get his jersey and get his picture taken with with his new general manager, his new team? I was like, this is gross, man. Just sit down for an extra five minutes. Anyhow, we're getting I think you should do one of those, like, leave Brittany alone videos about this. Let the 32nd pick have his moment. Let the player have his moment. Anyway, so that's the uh, the Sergeyev. Sorry, Buffalo Sabres fans, but that's the the inside on on why he went with Nylander and and not with Sergeyev. Anyway, big night for Sergeyev. Big night for Sergeyev. I never bet against Tampa. Yep. But I am going to look at the Rangers' odds on Saturday night. Ooh. I still think there's a chance the series goes seven games. One thing we should comment on too: Andre Vasilevsky was excellent. Yep. Vasilevsky was fantastic. It's it's almost become just like oh yeah, and because it's we're so used to it. But Vasilevsky was tremendous. Shoots went short side, just wide right. Rebound. Vasilevsky made a save and a wraparound attempt from Lindgren, who was behind the net. What a save he just made! Saved a goal for sure. And get it, Toronto. Wraparound try. Save Vasilevsky. He holds on. That was a one on three for Vitrano, and he almost scored. The Rangers come at him. He'll bounce for Dalmar oh, off his stick. Boy, oh this is going to be held in. Rooney, a shot in the slot. Save made by Celeski, and he holds on. Shashirkin was great, too. Count all the bodies that were in front of him on the two goals. I know. They did what they had to do screen and screen tip. You want to talk about one of the differences between the NHL now and the NHL we grew up with watching. Now, defensemen have to find, they have to be excellent at boxing out or lifting sticks or or doing what happened in the front of the net. 
when we were growing up, how many cross checks would have made sure that Palat was on the ice in that situation? Yeah. Like there is no way in the days of, you know, pick your guy, Chris Chelios, Dave Manson, Darian Hatcher, that Andre Palat is standing up to make that play at the end of regulation. They, he would have been plastered on the ice, victim of something to make sure he was not in position to make that deflection. Not in Chris Pronger's NHL, sir. Not in Chris Pronger's NHL. Hey, Pronger would have had a big smile on his face as, <laughs> as Palad was blown to smithereens in the slot. Yes, he would hear uh, and have none of that. So we'll stand by game six on Saturday uh, on Hockey Night in Canada. Just some news from around the NHL, and a lot of it revolves around coaches. You want to start in on Dallas? Let's start in on Dallas because someone sent me a couple quotes that were on Twitter about what I said, and it's weird. Like I think that I went one line too far. It also appears more jarring in writing than it does when you actually listen, but I do think I went one line too far. I think Peter DeBoer is a serious candidate in Dallas. I do. I just think I was a little bit premature. And the one line I would take back is I expect it to happen. I still think he's a legitimate contender to be the next head coach in Dallas. I I do think they are going through a process. And I do think the whole, as we talked about earlier this week, Jeff, I know you're going to talk about Bruce Cassidy. I think that whole situation has thrown some of these searches into a bit of a, I don't know if a flux or it's added another body. But like I said, I think he's a legitimate contender there and could potentially be the next coach in Dallas. I think I was just a little premature to say I would expect it. If I could have one line back, it would be that line. I think that was just too much at this time. People just told me I was a little bit premature with that one. They said you could be right, but you're not guaranteed to be right. That's the only thing I would take back. Let me use that as a jump off point then to talk about Bruce Cassidy. So Bruce Cassidy on Thursday uh, had his own press conference, talked about how he was told he was, you know, safe as of two weeks ago. Uh, and then, you know, Sweeney went to his house on Monday to tell him that he was being fired. But since then, uh, it, it doesn't sound like Bruce Cassidy has sat around feeling sorry for himself. You know, he did indicate that he'd spoken to a number of NHL teams already, I believe that the teams in question are Dallas. Mm-hmm. Um, we just talked about Peter DeBoer. Also Detroit mm-hmm. and Vegas. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he's talked to them or he's, I think he's going to talk to them. And that is the Philadelphia Flyers. Mm-hmm. So those are the four that I believe he's either spoken with or is going to speak with, but very much like all of a sudden Bruce Cassidy is available. All of a sudden, your decision for your head coach has just become that much more complicated because, as you mentioned, there's all of a sudden there's a new heavyweight contender here that just stepped into the ring. So it's we think that you know there's a backlog here caused by Barry Trotz and everyone's in a holding pattern until Barry Trotz makes his decision. And to some extent, I, I believe that that's true. Well, there's another one now now that uh, that Bruce Cassidy's um, become available from Boston. First of all, excellent information. I had a couple of people who asked me today what I thought of Bruce Cassidy's media conference, his Zoom call. I had one guy who said to me, I didn't like it. I thought it was a little too self-serving. This is what I said, Jeff. I said, look, you're entitled to feel the way that you feel. I'm good with that. But, you know, he's just had 
in some ways, he's really been dragged the last 24 to 48 hours in the sense that, first of all, he lost his job when he thought he was keeping it. And secondly, he's been criticized for how he handled a lot of things. And I would bet, and I talked about this with someone today, I would bet that even the insinuation that Patrice Bergeron may not come back, you know, because if he's the coach, like whether that's true or not, someone said to me, if that was me and somebody said that about me, he says, you're damn right. I would come out defending myself. Like, imagine that you're the guy who's being painted as, well, if Patrice Bergeron retires, it's because Bruce Cassidy's here. Like, imagine how that would make you feel. He said, that is a situation where you have to defend yourself. Now, I know that Don Sweeney came out and said that wasn't the case. But basically, in the last 48 hours before his media conference, Bruce Cassidy had to hear that the young players didn't like him and that it's being speculated that Bergeron's not coming back if, you know, you're there. Meanwhile, every year he's there, he's, they've made the playoffs. And in 2019, <laughs> they came within a game of winning the Stanley Cup final. And Bergeron wins the Selkie. And, and Bergeron wins the Selkie like a billion times. I totally understand why Cassidy held the media conference he did. Like, let's just say for argument's sake that you may not like Bruce Cassidy. That's fine. Everybody out there has a choice. They can decide who they like and they don't like. But I always believe that you treat others as, you know, you're treated. And sometimes when you're backed into a corner, you have to come out and defend yourself. You reach a point where you say, I'm not letting people get away with this. Now, do I think it's legitimate that he didn't get along with some young players? Yes, 100% I do. And that's coaching. Like, Jeff, you and I will go into a room of 20 people, and all of them will like me, but five will hate you, and hey. five will like you, and hey. 10 will be in the middle. Hey. Okay? Hey. Wow. Like, it, wow. it's, it's always going to be like that, right? <laughs> And we've talked about the Larry Bird rule that maybe it was time. Like, I understand why Cassidy felt the need to do that. I think he got put into a position where, look, he heard everything that got said about him the last two days. It sucks. And you know what? Sometimes you got to defend yourself. Have you ever heard the line, uh, a lie runs around the block before the truth gets out the front door? This time of year, that is incredibly true. That's what I'm thinking. Like, I'm, I'm listening to this Cassidy press conference and I'm like, he's trying to catch up to the lies. He just got out the door. Like, right well, away he you gets know, fired and, 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 I, and, and the I lies come out. I think some of the stuff about the kids may have been true. But still, you reach a point where you say it's enough already. Yeah. I get it. I totally understand it. And I probably would have done the same. I think most of us would have too. Like, so you just talked about Cassidy. Yep. Philly, I think, is in their second round of interviews. I believe Tortorella is going to get a second interview. I'm not sure if Trotz is officially needs one. I think they know where he is. So I'm not necessarily sure that Trotz is going to have a formal second interview. I think he kind of lords over that process. I don't know for sure, but I wouldn't be surprised if both Volucci and Tockett get second interviews, but I don't know that for sure. You know, Taka has been interviewed them, and Bellucci, I heard his interview went well with them. We'll see what they decide to do. As you mentioned, Cassie's still to come. There's been a lot of talk over the time about Jim Montgomery. I'm not sure he ever got interviewed there. So I'm not sure where that one stands. I think Winnipeg, and I want to be very careful how I say this, 
I think Winnipeg is making contingency plans as they should in case Trotz doesn't end up there. And you've mentioned Tockett. Yep. You've mentioned Arneal. Mm-hmm. We mentioned Montgomery. I think Pascal Vincent, who they know very well, is on their list. And I think there might be one or two uh, more. I'd heard that there was some talk. I, I actually mentioned it a while ago that there was some talk that Randy Carlisle would get interviewed there. I don't believe that's going to happen. So that's Winnipeg. Vegas, I think they're another team, obviously, in on trots. I think they've talked to Talkit, who lives there. It makes sense. And it wouldn't surprise me if they're another potential Montgomery team. To, I, I heard there's another team out there that was interested in Montgomery that we hadn't picked out yet. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that's potentially Vegas. And then, you know, Boston, I've heard David Quinn. I've heard Jay Leach. I haven't heard trots with them yet. Not to say that it won't happen, but I haven't heard that. But still, they're still early in their search. And Detroit, God only knows what he's up to. I will say that, <laughs> you know, Jeff, you were you were the person who mentioned Derek Lalonde very early in the process. Yeah, I've had several people tell me that they won't be surprised if Iserman waits to get his chance to talk to potentially all of the Tampa assistant coaches. Hmm. Now I've actually wondered if there's any chance Tampa would actually let those guys interview. Like if there's some time off, but I'm just talking out of my head there, Mm. but I do think he wants to talk to those guys. And finally in Chicago, Derek King, we knew would get an interview. We've reported Todd Reardon. I think there've been reports of someone said, uh, Brad Shaw and Luke Richardson. So I wonder if that's kind of the road that the Blackhawks are looking at. That's a lot, and um, I'll tell you, I'll uh, I'll read you a uh, I'll read you a text that one manager because you know you're reading you're reading out uh, this laundry list of names, yeah. and there's tons. And one manager tonight is watching the game. We're just going back and forth on uh, on on various coaches all around the league, and this is probably a text that a lot of us have sent once we sort of dawn on it. Uh, so many good quality coaches available these days. Like, have you ever thought to put together a list of all qualified and capable candidates for NHL coaching positions to say nothing of, you know, coaches that um, may not be in the NHL or have had any NHL coaching experience, or maybe they're made, they're ready to make that transition from college hockey or, or junior hockey or the American hockey league, uh, to say nothing of, you know, European coaches. I don't know what your list would look like, but it's gotta be pretty long. Like there's a ton of coaches that are available for each. Someone said to me a while ago, if you, if every NHL job was open right now, you could easily find 32 coaches. Oh, and have 32 left over. Yeah. And have 32 left over. Not a doubt. And I guarantee you too, Jeff, there's names I'm missing. For sure. Because someone's telling Steve Eisman what we're saying and he's laughing, saying you're yeah. way off and I, you don't, you're, you're not even close to the, the people that I'm talking to. So that's where we're at with the coaches uh, and that's where we're at with the series. Oh, and really quickly too, a funny moment as well. Darcy Kemper Good to go for the Stanley Cup final. Uh, a bit of good news on the Thursday. Yeah, I kind of got a laugh out of that when you looked at uh, the media people <laughs> over there. Not I'm assuming that was 
noted Colorado <laughs> taskmaster Brendan McNicholas he was looking at. Yes. It was kind of funny. I was looking at it and saying, if you're going to put him out there, you know he's going to be asked about it. So um, it was kind of funny that he said, well, I'm not sure what I can really say about this. You know, it was funny. I got a good laugh at it. But I also got a good laugh at the top of the show tonight when Kevin came up with his Fox Lafreniere thing. So good. <laughs> yes. This is Kevin Bexa doing his low-rent Ron McLean. I was at my cottage yesterday, and I saw this cute little fox, and he had a bushy tail, and so I followed him in my car, and he was kind of going right. He was faking left. He knew I was following him, so he led me down a dirt road to a dead end, and then he went into the bushes, and I thought... That must be what Tampa Bay feels like to get out Fox. And to be honest, it took the left front year out of my sails. Hold, hold it. Hold, what? hold it. What was that? <laughs> that is very good. Ron noticed it right away. He figured it out. So Kevin, on the, on the off day between games four and five of the Eastern final, he drove to his cottage, which is a couple hours out of Toronto. And he said that he was driving along and he saw a fox. And he started following it. And he said the fox kind of liked it. He said the it was kind of prancing along, like baiting him a bit because it knew that Kevin was watching him and he didn't seem particularly afraid. So he followed it a bit and then uh, Kevin was going to do something. To, he, he knew he was going to do something at the top of the show. And he said in the pregame, he got bored listening to me and Kelly. So he started thinking of other names that he could rhyme with and Lafreniere came up. You know, awesome. Kevin for a complete cement head is a very bright guy. You remember when he did the Sedine retirement night with no notes and we saw evidence of how quick witted he is right there with that one. I have no desire to compliment Kevin Bieksa. So let's stop right now. <laughs> I love him. Uh, that was really funny too. The other thing too is Toronto, Steve Briere, the goalie coach. Mm -hmm. It was reported tonight by our old friend, Chris Johnston, that he, will not be renewed. Somebody gave me a name to watch there. Michael Layton. Like the old NHL goaltender, Michael Layton? He's working for Windsor hmm. in the OHL final. He doesn't work for the Sioux, but he does work for Windsor. <laughs> well, this will never work then. That makes absolutely no sense. Yeah. So uh, someone just said to me that they think that it won't be long until Michael Layton is running goaltending for someone in the NHL. Hmm. Well, that's interesting because, you know, we uh, we talked about Mark Savard, who's the head coach uh, of the Windsor Spitfires not too long ago. Um, the Windsor Spitfires in the OHL uh, championship final with the Flint Firebirds right now. Uh, and we talk about, you know, coaches that are on the horizon and his name is very much in the mix. And, you know, that was one of the names that I thought of this week. Elliot, you know why? Why? Boston. That's right. Michael, you can't let any more goals in. <laughs> game seven and he didn't uh the other name the other name i heard there was uh that toronto's not putting any of these out but another name i heard because i think he's kind of talked with toronto over the years about the possibility of it and it's right. it's never aligned has been dan cluche uh okay on that we'll uh we'll wrap it up thanks for joining us once again here on the podcast taking us out today elliot a three-piece band from san francisco uh, that we're really excited to feature in our Amazon Music 32 Tracks Playoff playlist. Hot Flash Heatwave gathered great acclaim from their 2019 EP Mood Ring and just released their, just released their third full-length record using unique melodies and influences from all genres with their latest album, Sportswear. Here's Hot Flash Heatwave with two birds on 32 Thoughts, the podcast. Enjoy. 